All right. Hi, all. Um, welcome to the very first edition of Hans's yet-to-be-named podcast. Uh, just as a brief introduction, uh, we hope for this podcast to give founders, builders, and operators in Web3 uh, some actionable tips on building and growing dApps and protocols from the most experienced people in the space. Uh, and today, we couldn't get off to a much better start with our inaugural guest, Seb Campos-Groth. Having helped accelerate the Arweave protocol as a program manager at Techstars Berlin, uh, Seb jumped ship to join the budding protocol as its chief operating officer. Now, Seb, I've got a couple of questions to begin with here. The first one is, because I often struggle to describe it, what's your quick 10-second elevator pitch for Arweave? And then sort of for a decentralized protocol, what is it that your role actually entails as COO? Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you very much for having me, Archie. I really appreciate it. And being in the, in the very first episode is uh, definitely an honor. Okay, let me give it a crack, Seb. Arweave um, is a decentralized data storage network where you can store anything that you want permanently um, in an immutable way and just pay one time uh, in order to store whatever you want forever. That's the easiest way to understand it. As COO of said decentralized storage protocol? Yes. So what a COO of the decentralized um, data storage protocol does is super varied, but it goes, it spans finance and legal operations, general operations, people operations. It touches many different things. And I think that perhaps we can expand a little bit more on this later, but it definitely is, um, there's no specific playbook for Web3 yet. It's still being written. And so that means that basically just you just need to jump into different things. Yeah, on, on that. So obviously it sounds like a very generalist role. What was it that got you into Web3 in the first place and actually convinced you to jump from Techstars to Arwe? Yeah, for sure. Um, what got me into Web3, I started, as many other people have, um, we have interest in, in Bitcoin. And before Bitcoin, I was actually interested in digital currency. I don't know if you remember, there was this, uh, this game, I, I haven't played it in years, I don't know if it's still up and running, but called Second Life. And I don't know if you ever played that, but Second Life was this like, in the, the mid-2000s, it was like super popular. And I remember I was playing it and they had their own economy. They had their own dollars, Linden dollars, I think they call them. And you could actually redeem them and cash out. And so you can create, you could create like an asset, like build a house or something and then sell it to someone inside the game and then redeem or cash out. And I found that that was super cool. And we think about it like very similar to what we have or to some properties uh, that exist and dynamics that exist in metaverse uh, implementations now, right? So I thought that that was super cool at the same time. And yeah, the digital currency aspect really fascinated me. At the same time, it didn't take long for people to start using it and to, to launder money. And so certain user accounts started getting locked, right? And yeah. there were many that were just like, randomly blocked in people's assets, including like the, their digital assets and the linen dollars were blocked. And so from there on, I was like, oh man, it kind of sucks that, <laughs> that you don't have control over this. Um, and that the, just like a centralized authority can, uh, can decide to block what you have, even if it's just a game, right? So then when uh, Bitcoin came along, I was like very interested in this. I think I started getting into, um, into Bitcoin probably like, 2012, 2013, I, I bought, so definitely not super early. Um, and yeah, that, that was really like the, the beginning. And then from then on, you know, you just get into the rabbit hole. 
So that was, those were like the, the early beginnings. Um, then at Techstars, when I joined Techstars Berlin, um, the managing director and I had both uh, a big interest in, in blockchain. And if you remember the market dynamics at that time, everything was like pretty effervescent still. And you know, this is 2017. So we, we started looking for good projects that had applied to, to join us. And we found this one called Archain. Uh, back in the day, and we really liked the team. Super smart. They had a really clear use case that others just didn't have. It wasn't like a shit coin or something. It was really, it was a, there was a real use case behind it. Um, yeah, he just invited them to join. We worked together uh, for three months in Berlin. We just basically like got along together super well. And as you do it, when you're but in the early stage we see you get in touch or you keep in touch and better set with the projects that you like the most. Um, and the ones that are just like really going places and most promising. That was the case with our week. And so down the line, 2019, I was invited to, to join the team and I never looked back. I said, yep, let's do it. And I've been here now for over three years, super happy as well. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm sure they're glad to have you as well, Seb. Um, well, I hope do you, so. <laughs> yeah. do you, do you find that, so when you were helping incubate them through tech stars, like, obviously, like you mentioned, it's probably a more, a more generalist role. Do you find it was a bit of a carryover from what you were doing for them at tech stars to actually being a full-time COO or did the role change a lot? Um, yeah, no, the, the role is definitely very different, right? So if you're in, if you're in VC, you have two types of and sort of like audiences, I guess. And you're working for the VC itself. So you're making sure that the portfolio is well managed. Um, and you're helping the VC recruit and find good teams. And then, you know, basically that's, that's a job in its own. But then actually you have to do the portfolio management directly, meaning you have to work with the teams. Um, and you support them here and there. You try to help them out with basics like, all right, well, um, have you uh, giving some guidance on, I don't know, legal matters, right? Like, hey, we need to incorporate on a different jurisdiction. What do we do? Um, do you have some contacts with the people? Um, do we need to set up something for accounting right now? So, you know, and tools, that kind of like very basic entry-level stuff. Um, that's something we help out with. So it has certain similarities, but it has these two different audiences. And when you join full-time with the, uh, in the ops part of a Web3 startup, it's really you're just dedicated for that, right? Like that's, yes. that's the only mission that you have. And so it, it's like changing because you go a lot deeper into this question. It's not just an advisory role anymore. You actually have to decide and implement it. And so it's up to you that it runs and that, that it runs smoothly. Yeah, speak, speak on, the, on that point about decision-making, right? And sort of evaluating your decisions. Like there's that common, common saying, what, what gets measured gets managed. Um, sort yes. of what are some of the key things that you guys are looking at as a protocol to make sure that say like your experiments are working or certain decision-making things are going right, or even just evaluating the state of our wave itself? Yeah, 100%. I think that what we care, there's different things that we measure and there's different, um, sort of like levels of intensity for those, for those measurements. Um, one very sort of clear way of seeing this is basically the growth of the network, right? So how many transactions are being, um, are being posted or how many, uh, what is the, the data storage increase? These are like key metrics that you can check in the block explorer. 
And these are similar to what uh, any other this layer one protocols are also measuring, right? So those are the sort of like KPIs that, that are public and that everyone can check. Besides that, when it comes to a specific project, we really like to be, um, we really like to be fast and focused. So when we try to have a, when we, we have a project, we really just do the sort of like minimum viable uh, projects version, ship it out quickly, and then start seeing if it has some sort of traction. Um, one example of this is the Oklahoma family, right? So the Oklahoma family, we decided to spin up basically in like a week and a half, we had just like everything done and already like the marketing and started recruiting and everything and the program was set up and the participants and everything. Uh, and it was going to be an experiment, just like, let's see if it works, let's see if the quality projects come out. And they did. So we just kept going. So that's something that we do. It's, it's hard for me to tell like a general thing. It's not that we have this. If you're looking for a sort of like KPI dashboard, well, the Block Explorer is sort of like that for us. Yeah. But besides that, it's really project specific. But I, what I could tell you that the heuristic there is really just like, is it showing that it's going in the right direction quickly? And is it scalable, right? What we're doing, like that, that space here. Yeah. Um, do you, have you found that say like in, say like a lot of blockchain projects are we've included, right? You've got a very set mission about what you want the protocol to achieve. Do you think that makes like iteration and experiments less prevalent than you might find in like a web two startup? Or do you just find yourself doing more community building experiments uh, like the Open Web Foundry? Yeah, for sure. I think that I, I can see why it's, um, why it's sort of like the mission, the specific uh, nature of a specific blockchain could be considered as constraining. In our case, I think that the mission is super, super clear on what we want to do. The, the tech matches that mission, enables that, that mission. And the mission is broad enough and basically store all of the valuable knowledge and make sure that it doesn't disappear. Um, it's, it's broad enough that it allows for a bunch of different experiments and different and directions, right? Um, it's really a core, a core functionality. It's not narrow enough um, that, it, that it would constrain us somehow. Um, that being said, I think that we really rely, and this is a topic that we're gonna have probably here throughout this interview, we rely heavily on the, on the community and um, we work very closely with the community to enable experiments coming from them as well. So we don't want to be, um, we're just a company in the ecosystem. We are not the ones that, that are uh, dictating it, right? Um, so we definitely want to make sure that we're enabling experimentation at the community level as well. Yeah. And obviously, like one, one thing that I'd be interested to ask you actually uh, is obviously the Awe Foundation does a very good job of providing support to other members of the community. Can you think of any examples where that sort of relationship has been flipped on its head and you actually have community members based on their experience using Arweave actually providing advice back to you guys or maybe even like community building advice uh, back to the foundation? Yeah, 100% all the time. And you'd be surprised because, I mean, it, it just, it's it's such a varied group that this among the communities. So thriving and so big and so helpful as well that we we counter this um the dynamic constantly right so and um, for example one one very interesting dynamic that happens and um, in the community is someone will start building more of an let's call it an end users uh, facing application and along the way of building this they will start spotting opportunities 
you know, maybe there's some, some tooling opportunity um, or, or some intra opportunity that someone has not exploited yet or that's not built yet uh, in the community that could be beneficial for everyone. And then you start moving into more of a, you know, the end user facing application uh, play and one still part of it, but then they start moving a little bit more into the, like, the infrastructure and the tooling side of things. And now they're in like a cornerstone of what um, many, many folks in the, in the community use. And one such case is, you know, the virtual team. Another case is the uh, Redstone team. Uh, Redstone took SmartWeave, which is the native smart contracting on, on Harweave, and they've improved it massively at first to their needs, but then like really now it's basically the, the default way to, to use uh, SmartWeave or the smart implementation. Um, and the virtual team has constructed so many different things. I mean, the R-Connect wallet is arguably the most popular wallet in the R-Weep ecosystem. And um, they built it. Now everyone uses it, right? And so we get constantly advice from them in terms of, you know, what they're doing uh, for marketing, for community building, but also for tooling and directions in which they want um, the sort of ecosystem to grow. Yeah, and l- like you say, like we're we're lucky now that there's such a, a large like dev and just like I guess enthusiast community on our weave. Um, I'm speaking to more and more people every week who are interested in learning more about it. Um, right. But obviously, when when you joined, you've been you've been around a bit longer than I have. Um, it obviously wasn't the same community at the beginning. Um, so can you run me through a little bit how things have changed for you as in an operating role? Um, from going from a position where there was less community to where we're at now, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Um, when I joined, um, it was pretty cool. Someone had just built um, a directory of applications built on Arweave. It was called uh, Arweave Apps, I think. It's still up because it's, it's on Arweave, of course, so it can go down. Um, and I remember we were like constantly tracking that and we were like, oh man, this is so cool. And someone just built this tiny application. I was really just like, the beginnings of people starting to to use um, Arif to build applications on it directly, and not just like storing, just storing the you know like uh, files or static static files there. And it was like pretty pretty cool to see this and this grow. When the person that built that and the directory, we were like, hey, you seem to be a very engaged community member, and you spotted exactly what is required here. Don't you want to maybe join our team and help us grow the community? And we became our first developer relations advocate, um, Cedric Boudreau, who now has also been building his own project, TechTree, and who also built a ton of tooling that the community uses all the time. He built the testnet that every, every basically every dev uses now. Um, and so we started like first moving things a little bit into the team. Um, the team at that time was seven people, I think. Um, to really start growing the community, you needed to do a lot more. You were faced constantly with decisions. Do we build this ourselves or do we try to find someone in the community to build it, right? And that's been, think that it, that's a, a thread that you will see in the way that our reef operates. When faced with that, that decision, we always try to um, be on the side or earn the side of let's empower the community to build it themselves. So. In the beginning, it was a lot of looking for community members that would be able to like help us out and build things. And I was like bringing community members to, to like a, um, bring the right community members to, to build things. Um, and so it was definitely a little bit trickier than now. Now, nowadays, 
there's so many, there's hundreds of people who basically wake up and work on are we related projects every day, right? So yeah. the, the growth is, has definitely made things uh, easier on the sort of like tooling and building and development of the, of the general ecosystem for us. Yeah. What do you, what do you found worked for you? Cause you've obviously done a very successful job of it, but what, what worked in terms of community outreach and finding the right people to reach out to, to sort of develop some of those things on our way? Yep. I'd say that honestly, Sam, Sam and the folks directly working in the community team, they did an, an amazing job. And Sam was basically, and still is super, super involved in the community itself, right? Like it's glued to Discord to make sure that people are, you know, response times are like really, really um, quick, that people are really seeing that this is not just one of those, you know, larger Web3 projects where you join there and there's some random people just reading you, but never hear back from them. And it's, you know, it's a very impersonal. If you go to the, to the developer Discord, you will see like, you will, you will see how different the community is that we have here from other communities and other projects. Um, it's super personal, it's super friendly and everyone helps each other out. And that's really because of that, um, that early and continued work that Sam and the community team have done. And now you have super engaged um, folks that just like join the Discord. They like the vibe, they like the community and how everyone helps out. And they start like also taking on that role, right? And these are like just folks from the community. And so, you know, shout out to DMAC, for example, if you go to the developer Discord, you will see DMAC there helping out all the time. Well, that's a, a specific example, right? Of of how that's been growing and how that's and that's been working. But but yeah, that's that's basically the advice there is we just need to be really intentional and we really just need to really put in the work to build a community. Otherwise, like people notice um, if you just, oh yeah, cool. And like thumbs up to a, to a comment or to a question and then you just like don't engage. You really need to be intentional. Yeah. And avoiding avoiding the classic toxic discord problem. Um, yes. It seems to become more and more prevalent. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so that, that was the community side, I guess. Um, before we leave this topic, sort of, mm-hmm. do you have any advice for maybe young people or aspiring COOs uh, of operating a Web3 protocol? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think that having, you need to be super, super quick and good at problem solving because it is a generalist role, but you need to be able to like dive deeply into new topics that you might not be familiar with very, very quickly. Because everything, people that that ask us, when do you need this by? The joke is that, dude, like in our brief and arguably like every other sort of successful product, the answer is always as soon as possible. Like, why would you even ask that, right? Um, it's obvious that we need it now. It's a, it's a startup after all. We don't need it like in three months. That's not how it works. Um, and so you need to be ready to to jump at things and like figure them out really, really quick. So that's sort of like a key characteristic. You also need to be, very okay with dealing um, with uncertainty and changing priority. So you want to be working very hard, very quickly towards one direction to solve. You have a problem, you solve it, you want to solve it in this way. All of a sudden you need to hold that, jump to a different direction, a different sort of like a solution approach, work on that one only to find out it doesn't work and you need to jump back to the first one. That happens all the time because you're sort of like, trial and error things. Uh, you need to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, if you're going, going for a certainty and one thing to be like, well, okay, well, I will build a playbook. And then after 
three months of uncertainty, I will know what I'm going to be doing every single day that I'm coming to the office. That's not, that's not what the reality of the everyday is for a CEO and I have webbed in product. Yeah. And on, on the topic of priorities, uh, just as a bit of a segue here, yeah. um, ex- excuses if this is a bit off guard, but obviously there's a lot of, a lot of chat about bear markets and crypto winter and all that business. Um, how has that sort of changed Arweave's priorities going forward over the next sort of one, six, 12 months? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, same as, same as everyone else and take a minute to really think about, okay, um, where are we, uh, what are, what are our requirements? And then immediately you start thinking about like, what, what can you do to support the community? You know, it's a different landscape. It's a landscape that the majority of folks that, that have been building and on our, even also on the other chain, they don't know this, the landscape, right? It's, there might've been like, and you know, it might've been through the bear market, the prolonged bear market in crypto, but not a bear market and really macro uh, scale. Yeah. So this is, this is a different um, situation for sure. For us, the priorities are pretty clear, right? So we want to keep empowering and helping out the community in the best way we can, bringing builders to the Arweave ecosystem, and then just making sure that Arweave is available basically um, everywhere for everyone to use, regardless of the computer chain that you're using or the servers that you're using, but basically just making sure that it's there and that the community building with Arweave is well supported both financially, but also um, on advice and also like technical support. Yeah. Um, and sort of on, on that topic, right, uh, back to community, mm-hmm. um, do you find like that there's obviously like the attention economy of Web3, that there's sort of like a sales element to your job and the jobs of other members of the team in terms of convincing skilled developers uh, to build on Arweave rather than alternatives? That's interesting. I think that the sales um, component is super prevalent in all, basically in all protocols, right? And they're all trying to get the tiny group of skilled developers and Web3 developers to build something on their chain, right? So everyone is just like looking for that, trying to convince. There's different ways in which they do this. Um, and during the bull market, it was just like throwing extremely lavish parties and, you know, splashing <laughs> uh, out. Um, and we've always taken a different approach to that. Um, for example, at when we had, um, when it was NFT New York City in 2021, um, we, we hosted an event because folks really wanted one, but we didn't host it in the traditional way of like, all right, well, let's, let's have a party. Yeah, I deliberately call it the anti-party. <laughs> the, the, the tagline was, we party when the job is done, right? And since part is done, this is really not adopted yet. So that's, you know, <laughs> and so what we ended up doing is hosting a, hosting a, you know, we had a catering, we had uh, alcohol-free beverages and a bunch of whiteboards to actually work on stuff together. And the turnout was great. People really liked it. So um, I don't think that we do things in the same way as, as the others. We're, we're not sales in that, in that way. We really try to focus on the fundamental um, functionality and, and really supporting the developers. Uh, so I think that that really sets us apart from, um, from other projects. And you can notice that in the community, like people are really engaged and they notice that this is, this is serious. This is not like 
throwing parties in a yacht type of situation. No, that's not us. Yeah, uh, it, it is a point of differentiation, I guess, in some, in some sense. Um, yeah, for sure. On a, back, back to your role in the community, obviously the first point of entry for a lot of developers into the OEV ecosystem is through the Open Web Foundry. Mm -hmm. um, I know we've mentioned it a lot. I'll probably just clarify again that the Open Web Foundry uh, is is always incubator for new projects. Um, six six weeks and then a demo day. Is that right, Seb? Yep, correct. It varies a little bit, but it's between six and eight weeks uh, culminating in a demo day where we typically host between eight to 10 projects that have been building with us uh, before. And the conditions there are basically, uh, you have to be building using armies um, and hopefully to its fullest extent and to folks that are uh, relatively new to Arweed. Arweed is not just the storage layer, but then we also have the, the perma web and layer up, which allows you to build uh, applications and store them forever. And so we want people to use the make a smart contracting on Arweed, not just the storage layer. And those are the folks that are participating that we help out during the six to eight week program um, called the Open Web Family, of which we've run now seven uh, iterations. We run one around every quarter, basically. Yeah. Do you find, like, obviously with your tech, tech stars experience, you'd, you'd be an incubator master at this point, but do you find <laughs> that with, with Arweave projects in particular, or like even projects that are still at the idea stage, is there anything in particular that you find they're often lacking when they come in or anything that they particularly need help with that the Open Web Foundry kind of solves for? Oh, yeah, 100%. So look, the Open Web Foundry is the basically earliest earliest stage possible to enter the uh, in terms of the R reading ecosystem, right? Um, we basically incubate slash accelerate um, projects that are anywhere from idea stage to something that is already like pretty well established and that basically just wants to port over to R read for, for a storage solution. We tried it all, but um, by and large, it tends to be like really developers that are new to entrepreneurship, that are basically just uh, building their first project perhaps. And those are the ones that we and the best place to support. Typically what and the, the type of support that we can provide them is investor relations, like the very first time for many of them that they're going to be raising. So we're super happy to support them there and coach them um, on the way that uh, that we've had positive experiences with with the investors that's, and that we've been working with, um, as well as, you know, general sort of operations. I mentioned this before. So setting up an entity, making sure that your you know, bank account, all these things that sound super trivial, but sometimes getting a bank account does not go <laughs> so easy. Sometimes setting up a legal entity in the right jurisdiction is not easy at all, right? And um, just like helping them think through that and giving maybe advice um, early on, sometimes like really helps them, uh, especially when you have you know, these are super, super early stage teams. So sometimes it's really just like, couple of developers, they by and large don't have experience with uh, operations. And, and so that's something that we can definitely help them out with. Yeah, it, it, it is a really great initiative. And like I, I was at my first demo day a couple of weeks ago and I, I was very impressed by, by some of the output nice, of man. the work that you guys had done. Um, but sort of where do you envision OWF going forward from here? Uh, and any other community initiatives in the pipeline that you might be able to leak to us on this podcast? <laughs> I don't know about that second part, but I tell you a little bit about the first. <laughs> but I tell you a little bit about the the first one. Yeah. So right now we're working closely together with 
um, the OW of seven uh, demo day participants. We're still in the sort of helping and fundraise because believe it or not, despite the sort of uh, the general gloomy <laughs> vibes that we have currently in crypto, there's still deal making going on. And it seems like activity is picking up now. Um, so, you know, there's, there's still fundraising to, to go around and to support. So we're working uh, on that. And as always, we're uh, spinning up, um, we're spinning up or preparing for uh, the next iteration of the web uh, founding number eight. Thinking about like making it a little bit different um, than the last time, but um, I will tell you first uh, when I can disclose those details on how that's going to be changing from the traditional at this point six to eight week program uh, with a demo day every quarter. Yeah, I I'll, I'll look. I look forward to hearing <laughs> it greatly. For sure, man. I'll be get to you first. <laughs> before uh, before I leave, you Seb, I'm just gonna begin a tradition here uh, with one final question. Uh, and that is, what is one book that you really enjoy that you think others might find controversial? Book that I enjoy that others might find controversial. Um, I think that I really like, um, the one that I've been reading, and I actually think that it might be controversial because sometimes I find myself, you know, I, think, I don't know about that, um, is um, The World After Capital. And um, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. Have you read it or have you heard of it? I haven't read it. I had a, I had a look at it. Um, yeah. it's Wang, Wenger, wasn't it? Yeah. Am I right? Wenger yeah. From, from yeah. Square, Ven- Square Ventures. Um, he wrote it like he was writing it in public. So you can <laughs> see things as they were progressing. It's a really interesting take on where things go next and how important the role of capital is, but premise there is capital is very abundant, doesn't matter anymore. Well, <laughs> that basically got finished at the, at the time that capital stopped being abundant after this 10-year uh, <laughs> very lax monetary policy that, that we had. So it's definitely a good read, uh, interesting take, and uh, probably also a controversial one in some parts. Yeah, very, very timely, I guess, as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bit threatening to Ligel. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway... Thank you so much for coming on, Seb. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing, and I'm sure our guests will get a lot out of hearing from your expertise. And all the best. Thank you very much, RP. This was really fun. Um, and looking forward to hearing the, the next guest. <laughs> I'm glad. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hands' Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcast every week, follow The Firm or myself on Twitter at Hansa underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, uh, if you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at hansa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forms there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.